Well, we're going to jump right into week two. I want to invite you to pull your message notes out inside of your worship guide. This is week number two of our series, With Honor. We're going to jump into Romans chapter 12 and verse 10. The Bible says, love each other with genuine affection. Take delight in honoring each other. One translation says, in preferring others above yourself. And that's the basis of today. How do we take delight in honoring each other? Last week, we talked about where is the honor? You know, we, we, we live in a culture today that where did it go? Where's the honor? We, we, it, we, we've created a very disrespectful, dishonoring culture in the world that we live in today. And we want to know where did it go and how do we bring it back? That's what this series is all about. How do we bring back honor and start with us? Last week, we defined honor. Honor means to add value, to add worth, to add weight to something. You know, it's weighty. There's a little bit of weight to it. It's like if you're driving down the road and there's a giant boulder in the middle of the road, you have to honor that boulder. I mean, because there's some weight to that thing. If you have an attitude, I don't have to stop for anybody or anything, and I'm just going to totally disregard that boulder and take it lightly, you're going to be a grease spot on the side of the road. It's not going to go well for you. You have to honor that thing because there's some weight to it. What dishonor means is you take the weight away. You, you, you take something lightly that you should be adding a little weight to. And I think we live in a culture today that's taking a lot of things lightly that we should be honoring. And so what I want to do is I want to call us back as a church to be people of honor, to, to develop a culture of honor in the church. Because you look at a lot of the problems of society today, and it really stems back to this culture of disrespect and dishonor. We don't know how to honor anymore. We don't know how to respect anymore. And a lot of the problems we're dealing with today is because of that lack of honor. So last week, we stated the case on honor. This week, I want to get very practical and answer the question, who do we honor? Who do we as followers of Jesus Christ honor? Who are we commanded to honor as believers? First Peter chapter 2, verse 17, Peter says, show proper respect. Show proper respect. Which tells me that they were showing a level of respect, but it wasn't the proper level of respect. Peter's saying, you're showing a little bit of respect, but you're not showing the proper level of respect. And most of the time, it's not necessarily because we don't want to. I think a lot of times it's because we haven't been taught. We, we just haven't been trained on how to show the proper level of respect to people. And that's what this series is all about, is teaching you about the proper level of respect or the proper level of honor. And let me just say, anytime we do a behavioral series, it's very dangerous that you simply take a series like this and add it to the list of things that you have to do. Like, here's another law. Here's, here's another thing that I've got to do because I'm a Christian. Please don't do that with this, this series. A behavioral series are not about things you have to do. The goal of this series is that you'll fall in love with the concept of honor. You, you'll fall in love with these principles and that you'll want to be a person of honor because it's written on your heart. It's not something you have to do. It's something you want to do because it's written on your heart. That's why Jesus says, listen, I didn't come to abolish the law. I don't want to get rid of the law. I just want to take the law and I want to write it on your heart. So it's not something you have to do anymore. It's something you want to do because you've fallen in love with me and you understand the beauty of these principles. They're not just laws. They're principles that will bring blessing to your life. So he says, show proper respect to, and here's that annoying word from last week, everyone. Show it to everyone, even the people that don't deserve it. Honor is not deserved for the honorable. Love the brotherhood of believers, fear God, and honor the king. So let me give you six things today from the Bible 
that the Bible teaches us that we are to honor as followers of Jesus Christ. And it's going to go from broad to very narrow. So in your notes, number one, honor others. Honor others. Who are the others in your life? Who are the everyones in your life that God wants you to honor? Well, it's everyone, every person you come in contact with. And we've lost this in our social media age when it's so easy to criticize and blog against. And we can jump on Facebook and comment on everything and everyone. And we can do it so cheaply that it really doesn't matter what we say because we're not accountable for our words anymore. And so most of the stuff we're posting and commenting is just negative and sharing our opinion, which is negative and dishonoring. And it's just so dishonoring today. Just this culture of dishonor. And I'm going to say something right now that I need to say, and, and, and I know that there are people here today where you might disagree with me right now, but that's okay. You have a right to be wrong, <laughs> but I'm going to say it anyways. We're creating a culture of dishonor in our nation by some of the video games we're playing. You, you look at some of the video games our kids are playing where, where, where life is so meaningless, and then we wonder why kids go into movie theaters and mow people down. I mean, what are we training them with? A culture of dishonor in the way we absolutely disrespect the unborn, where we don't protect their rights and we don't protect their life and we have over a million babies a year being aborted in our nation. A culture where we completely dishonor the sanctity of marriage and what it's all about. A culture that we've developed where it's all about me and what I feel and what I want and I don't care about anyone else or what they think because it's all about me. And what's happening is we're living out the fulfillment of a prophecy in 2 Timothy chapter 3. And I want to encourage you, I want you to read this entire thing later today. Go, go home and take 2 Timothy 3 and read this whole prophecy. But I'm going to read a couple verses because I really feel like this represents the culture we live in today. 2 Timothy 3 verse 1. You should know this, Timothy, that in the last days there will be very difficult times. This word difficult in the Greek is the same Greek word used to describe the demoniac at the Gadarenes that Jesus uh, delivered. It's not just difficult. That's kind of a watered-down version of this word. It's actually demonic times, very terrible demonic times. And I want you to look at the first thing on the list. Look at the first thing on the list in these demonic times. For people will love only themselves. I don't think there's a, a generation that has described that prophecy more than our generation today. You look at the fact that 30 million people are in human trafficking and slavery today, and a lot of that is sex slavery. We, we don't care about the value of other human beings. We care only for ourselves. Well, Paul says in Philippians 2, he actually challenges us as followers of Christ. Don't be selfish. Don't just think about yourself. Serve others. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. And I love this line. Thinking of others is better than yourselves. What would, what, what would the world look like today if that described our generation? If we were a generation that thought about others more than we thought about ourselves? Don't look out just for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. It's powerful. Others before self. What would happen if we applied that to our marriages? Others before self. Applied that uh, in our home. Applied that at our workplace. I want to challenge you. Put the culture of honor to the test and see if it'll enhance the people's lives around you. See if it'll make your life better. I want to give you some... Re when I was preparing, I, I did some research for this message. 
And I want to I share some of the research that I found about the value of household chores. When you teach your kids to live more than themselves. Parents, I'm about to come with your best friend right now. So listen closely to this. University of Minnesota did some research on household chores. They found that the best predictor for a young adult's success in their mid-20s is that they participated in household chores at age three or four. Through participating in household chores, parents are teaching children responsibility, how to contribute to family life, a sense of empathy, and how to take care of themselves. The key is to start early. If you don't, it backfires. The study showed that when a parent started their children in chores at age 9 or 10, or even worse, 15 or 16, the children thought the parents were simply asking them to do something the parents didn't want to do. They didn't get the concept of we're all in this together. They were far too self-centered by that point. The earlier parents encourage their children to take an active role in the household, the easier it will be to get them involved as teenagers. Listen to this. People's impression of overindulgence is being given too many toys. But the research shows that actual overindulgence is found that the major way people said they were overindulged, it was not having to do chores as a child. That's what most people cite is how their parents overindulge them. Parents who don't ask children to do chores may have good intentions, but the impact is negative. For example, a working mother will rush home to get dinner on the table so she can spend some quality time with her child playing or reading, but allowing her child to help with dinner would slow her down and is in fact what the child really needs. The child will connect with her mother one way while playing, but in a deeper way when helping prepare dinner, because now she feels like a contributing member of the family, and the mother can anchor that feeling with praise and encouragement. And the research goes on to say, kids who involve themselves in daily chores are are more compassionate and have less fights among their siblings, and there's a direct correlation between chores that are selfish and chores that are for the better good of the whole family. For example, a chore that is clean your room, pick up your toys, that's just for you versus chores like take out the trash, feed the dog, don't feed the cat, things like that. (laughs) I'm just being serious. It says if chores affected others, there was a direct effect on how children treated other people in the family and in the home. Let's build a culture where we prefer other people above ourselves. It would change our nation. Here's number two. Honor authority. Honor authority. All of us have authority in our life. And thank God we have authority. Without authority, our world would be absolute chaos and anarchy. I mean, we need police officers. We need speed limits. We need some rules and restrictions. Or it would just be absolute anarchy. We need law and order in our life. And the God you serve is a God of authority. Look at the way Jesus taught us how to pray. Jesus said, when you pray, after you, after you give glory and worship and honor to God, Jesus said, the first thing you need to pray for is your kingdom. Your kingdom, kingdom is a word of authority. There's authority to kingdom. Jesus, you know, most of us, first thing we pray is, give me today what I need, God, my daily bread, my daily needs. Jesus says, no, 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 no. Put yourself in a mindset of authority when you pray. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Authority, the Bible calls us to honor authority. And we live in a culture that loves to dishonor authority. Paul says in Romans 13, verse one, here's that annoying word again, everyone which means nobody here is an exception to this. Everyone must submit to governing authorities for all authority comes from God and those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. 
So anyone who rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and they will be punished. Now, it doesn't mean God's going to punish you. It means you're bringing punishment on yourself. You rebel against authority, you're judging yourself. I mean, it's coming on you from you. And God works through all authority, even wicked authority. Doesn't mean God likes wicked authority. Doesn't mean God endorses wicked authority, but God will use wicked authority. And let me just throw out a disclaimer because there's people that'll like to take a message like this to the extreme and kind of pervert it. Don't do that with this message. I'm not saying if authority asks you to do something illegal that you're to honor authority by obeying. That's not at all what I'm saying. So don't take this to an extreme and pervert this message. Just use some common sense with it. Let me give you four areas of authority that God will bless us for honoring in our life. Four areas we find in Scripture. First is government. Government. We're to honor government. We all have a king, or in our case, a president, vice president, senators, congressmen, local, state, and national politicians. And our attitude towards them is absolutely critical. And unfortunately, we live in a society that loves to mock and criticize. Just look at late night television. We, we, we love to completely dishonor and disrespect our nation's leaders. Well, what do I do if I don't like the president? Well, guess what? Every four years, they give you a right to have an opinion. Exercise it. Unfortunately, only 30% of the people that actually have that right use it. And what's even sadder is less than 50% of followers of Christ actually exercise their right to have an opinion. So none of us have an opinion before the election, and then all of us have an opinion after the election. Exercise your right. And again, you can disagree with authority, but don't dishonor. Don't disrespect. You slandering authority and criticizing authority, that doesn't expose their character. It exposes your character. It reveals who you are. Here, here's, the, here's the next area. Uh, workplace or school. If, if you're a student, write school on the line. If, if you already have a job, write workplace on the line. Basically, this is your daytime hours. Somebody is in authority over your daytime hours. And if you understand honor at all, sow some honor to your boss. I mean, don't be sitting at your desk all day building farms on Facebook until your boss walks up and then act busy. That's not honoring. And parents, how do you honor your kids' teachers when your children want to complain? Oh, they're being so unfair. They're horrible. Do you stand up for the teachers and teach your children how to honor and respect? I mean, you don't always have to disagree, but you need to be a person of honor. Let me give you a verse uh, that Paul teaches, and you can apply this to school. You can apply this to, to your job, to your boss. Paul says in Colossians 3.23, work willingly at whatever you do. Whether you're in school or whether you're at work, work willingly as though you are working for the Lord rather than for people. You're not working for your boss. You're working for the Lord. You're not going to school to try to please that teacher. You're trying to please the Lord. Work for the Lord, not just for people at whatever you do. Here's another area of authority, family authority. We all have family authority and family relationships. And we're going to come back to honoring parents in a minute. That's, that's going to be a separate line item. But what I want to talk about here is, is I want to see some more honor amongst our spouses. I want to see some more honor in the home amongst family members, brothers and sisters. More honor amongst, amongst relatives, aunts and uncles. Because what I, what I realized this week preparing for this message is we are so good at honoring people at their funerals. I mean, you go to someone's funeral and they were like the greatest person in the world every time. Well, why don't we say those things to them while they're living? 
Why, why do we always wait to their dead to say the things that they really needed to hear when they were alive? It's not helping them at the funeral at all. They needed to hear those things from you when they were alive. So this is what I encourage you to do. Whatever you would say to them at their funeral, say it to them today. Don't wait. Say those things today. Because here's the problem. Familiarity breeds contempt. It breeds dishonor. We begin to take for granted the relationships in life that are absolutely vital and critical to us. We, we take them lightly. We dishonor those relationships. And I know this is tough, especially in marriage. Amanda and I, we get it right most of the time. I, I mean, we get it right now more than we get it wrong. But it's still a challenge. I remember back when uh, our son, before he went to school, when he was younger, and he was a, he was a, he was kind of stay at home kid, and my wife would stay at home with him. Uh, you know that you know the book Women from Mars, Men are from Venus, or, or vice versa, whatever it is. That book is so true. I mean, we could not be more different in life. They say the average man has about fifteen thousand words a day. The average woman has about thirty thousand words a day. I would use up all fifteen thousand words at work. I mean, I'd use up all 15,000 words before I got home. She was with the baby, and so she saved all 30,000 words up for me to get home. I mean, I walk in the door. I've got a choice. Am I going to honor or am I going to dishonor? How was your day? What's the last thing I want to hear about? I mean, just be honest. The last thing I want to hear about is her day. I want to watch Sports Center. I want to do something completely mindless, completely brainless. But I've got a choice. Do I want to be a person of honor or dishonor? What would it look like if, you know, if we came home and it was like, no, baby, tell me how your day was. No, no, no. Why don't you go sit down and watch some sports? I'll get you a nice lemonade. No, no, no. Tell me about your day. No, no, no. Just go sit down. What would it be like if the war in our homes was who could esteem each other more? What would it be like in our homes today if that was the battle? Who could treat each other better? That was the real battle. And then lastly, we all have spiritual authority in our life. The Bible says, honor those who work diligently for the Lord. And listen, I'm not going to give you any verses on this one because it would be far too self-serving of me to do. It really would. But I mean, there's places in the Bible says, give double honor to those that work for the Lord. What the Bible is trying to do, it's trying to change our culture. And let me be very clear. I don't need this one for me. I really don't. I, I am completely secure in who I am and in my job and what God has called me to do. I don't need this for my sake. You need this for your benefit and for your blessing. See, I have overseers in my life, people that, that I'm accountable to, that I look up to, that I pray for, that are my spiritual authority in life, that I honor because it brings blessing when I honor them. 1 Timothy chapter 2, uh, Paul's teaching young Timothy about this. He says, I urge you, first of all, to pray for all people. I love that. The, fir- the, the, the first part of your prayer life should be for others, not self. You, you can pray for yourself later, but make sure you pray for others first. Ask God to help them. Intercede on their behalf. Give thanks for them. Look at verse 2. Pray this way for kings and all who are in authority. So, so then pray for your authority in life. Pray for those in authority. Pray for those four areas of authority, government authority, your work or school authority, family authority, spiritual authority. Why? So that we can live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. This is good 
It pleases God, our Savior, who wants everyone to be saved and to understand the truth. I want to encourage you, pray over those four things. Pray over those four areas of authority every day. Just, just wake up, say, God, I pray for our president right now and our, 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 our governor, Lord, that you would just turn their heart to you, God, that you would give them wisdom to lead our nation according to biblical values. God, I, I pray right now for my boss or my teacher at school that you would just bless them today. And pro- It'll change your heart to them if you're praying for them every day. I mean, you can't, you, you can't hate somebody you're praying for every day. You can't despise somebody you're praying for. It'll change your heart, and it'll bring blessing back. God, I pray for my family. I pray for my wife and my son, God. I pray for my, my brothers and sisters that you would just bless them today. God, I pray for my, my spiritual authority, my overseers. And my, I pray for my small group leader, God. I want to encourage you, pray for your small group leaders. Pray for those people that have, that, that have taken the call to lead small groups in our church. And you know what the you know what one of the most incredible things about the small group leaders of our church is every one of them are trained to pray for every person in their small group once a day by name. Think about that. You, you, those of you that are in small groups, you're being prayed for every single day. Somebody is calling your name out before God every single day. I think the small group leaders of our church need a little honor and need a little respect for the job that they're doing to love and to serve and to help people take that next step spiritually. It's awesome what God is doing. Let me give you number three, honor parents. Honor parents. This is a separate line item. And the reason it's a separate line item is because the Bible makes it a separate line item. The Bible talks a lot about honoring our parents. This even shows up in the Ten Commandments. And I know, well, well, that, that was Old Testament. That was under the law. Yeah, but Paul brought it into the New Testament as a principle. Paul said, yes, this is an Old Testament law, but this is a principle you need to live by for your sake, for your blessing. See, we don't get rid of the law. We let it be written on our heart and fall in love with it because it's principles of blessing. And I know somebody will ask, well, what about people who don't have very good parents? What about, what about parents that don't deserve any honor, don't deserve any respect? Listen, I'm not saying that you have to obey them in every situation. But what I'm saying is you need to show them the proper level of respect. Well, I am showing them proper respect. They don't deserve any. Well, that's not how God sees it. That's not how God sees it at all. The Bible says, let no slander come out of your mouth. The Bible says, bless those who persecute you. See, there's no more real application of that verse than when you're in an unhealthy relationship with a mother or father to learn how to bless those who persecute you, to give them the proper level of respect. doesn't mean you have to stay in abusive situations, but it means you have to show the proper level of respect. Again, we do it because of who we are, not because of who they are. Honor your mother and your father. Teenagers, you remember the message last week. Let me, let me, let me give you a little review and a little reminder. What do we do when mom calls your name? It's not, what? I'm on level 13. No, 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 no. You don't say what to mom. The proper response when mom calls your name, just just remember this, is yes, ma'am, while you're walking towards her. Did you get that? Yes, ma'am, while you're walking towards her. That's the proper response. I grew up in Texas. I said what once. (laughs) And my dad changed my mind. That was not the proper response to mom when she called your name. You didn't say what. It, it, It just didn't happen. One of my dear friends, Sean McDowell, his, he, he, he was one of my roommates at the Dream Center. His father is Josh McDowell, a well-known author, wrote a lot of books on family and parenting. He, he tells a story about his daughter when she was 11 or 12 years old, was just giving real attitude uh, to her mom, just sassy and back-talking and just this nasty, rude little attitude. You know how 12-year-olds with hormones get into 
And he pulled her outside one day when she was just being as rude as can be. And he looks at her and he says, listen, you may talk. You may talk to your mom that way, but you will not talk to my wife that way. She is my woman and I'm not letting anybody talk to my woman that way. So I don't want to hear that again. Listen, you're going to leave one day, but she's staying which means she's the priority relationship in this home. And let me just say, parents, if you ever allow a relationship with a child to take precedence or priority over a relationship with the spouse, that's one of the most damaging psychological things you can do to a kid. Psychologists will tell you that's one of the most damaging things you can do. Your children need to know the number one relationship in that home is mom and dad. That's priority. That, that's what will give your child the greatest sense of self-esteem and security and confidence, especially when we live in a world today where not every kid has a mom and dad at home. So you need to make sure your kids know priorities. Mama, she's staying. You're going to go one day. So she's the important one in this home. I love you, but she's the important one here. Just, make, just, just, just making sure. Ephesians chapter 6. Again, teenagers, listen to this. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. This one even has a promise attached. It's amazing that God actually puts a promise on this one. That's that's why he wants this written on your heart, because it's going to bless you. It goes on to say, if you do this, then things are going to go well for you. I mean, no, we all want things to go well for us. Not only well, it says you're going to have a long life on earth. And in the Greek of that word life is an enjoyable life. It's not just enduring life. No one wants a long life that you have to endure that's miserable. You want a long life that you get to enjoy. Well, the promise is honor your mother and father. Things are going to go well for you and you're going to get a long life that you get to enjoy. Here's number four. Honor age. Honor age. I was raised in a culture where we knew how to treat the elderly. We knew how to treat you know, people that, that have a little bit more wisdom, that have been around a little bit longer. Unfortunately, our culture today, we don't know how to treat the elderly anymore. And I don't think it's just because we don't want to. I, th- I think uh, most of the reason is we just haven't been trained. We haven't been taught. And that's what I want to do is I want to teach you some stuff and train you some things to get us back to a culture of honor. Leviticus 19, verse 32, the Bible says, stand up in the presence of the elderly. An older person walks in the room, stand up to show some respect. That's not just American culture. That's in the Bible. Stand up when they walk in the room. Show some respect for the aged. I mean, if you're at a dinner party and there's a buffet line going around, look around the room for, for you know, if there's, if there's any elderly people, let them go first. Give them the best seats. Prefer to them. Give, give them some attention. Listen to what they have to say. They're smarter than you. They've got some wisdom that you need. I love Titus chapter 3. It says older people should teach the younger people. I'm looking for some older people in our church that want to start small groups. And the whole description is older person wants to teach younger person some stuff. Because some, some of the young people in our church need to know some stuff. I mean, I need to know how to figure some of this stuff out. How do I, how do I deal with this checkbook? How do, I, how do I be a good dad? How do I figure out some stuff? And we've got some people with wisdom around here that needs to be teaching some younger people some stuff. And instead, we've got this culture of disrespect. Well, they're outdated. They don't even know how to use an iPhone. Yeah, but that's all you know how to do. I mean, come on. Job 12, verse 12, it says, Wisdom belongs to the age and understanding to the old. I'm just trying to say they're smarter than you, and you're going to save yourself a lot of heartache and a lot of headaches if you'll just listen. Number five, honor nature. 
honor nature. Let's treat God's creation with a little bit of respect. Why? Because God created it. The earth is his masterpiece. So as people of honor, as followers of Christ, we don't litter, we don't waste, we don't destroy things for no reason at all. I mean, we, we care for this planet. We steward over it. Genesis 1, 28. Then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it. Govern the earth. Our job is to steward over this planet, to take care of it, to love it, to, to, to not waste and to not litter, to, to care for creation. I read a joke this week about an atheist who was out in the woods just admiring the beauty of creation that evolution accomplished. And he's walking through the woods and he's saying, my, what, you know, what beautiful mountains and what beautiful trees and beautiful birds and streams. It's just, just, just so amazing what, what, what evolution created. And he heard a rustling in the bush behind him. And he turned around and it was this massive grizzly bear. And the grizzly bear began to chase him, and this atheist took off running for his life, and he, he was scared to death, and he, he kept looking over his shoulder, and the bear was gaining on him and gaining on him, and his heart was pounding, and he was crying, and then he tripped, and he fell, and now the bear was towering over him about to attack, and the atheist cried out, oh God, and time froze. The stream stopped, the bird stopped chirping, the bear froze, and this voice came from the sky. You deny my existence your entire life. And you teach people I don't exist. And you give credit to to all of this creation, to some cosmic accident, and now you want me to treat you as a believer. And the atheist said, well, God, you're right. He goes, "That, that would be kind of hypocritical of me to ask you to now treat me as a Christian. But could you at least maybe make the bear a Christian? And so God said, sure, and the, everything resumed, and the stream began to flow, and the birds began to chirp, and the bear standing before him drops down to his knees and folds his hand, and he says, dear God, I want to thank you for this meal that you provided for me today. I have no idea where that came from. Don't ask me what in the world that has to do with this message, but it was just funny. Here's number six, the last point, honor God. Honor God. And I know some of you are saying, well, well, that's obvious. Well, still, most people don't take this one seriously. Most most people today really don't even know what this means. What what does it actually mean to honor God? What, what, What does that really mean to honor God? How do I honor God? Psalm 29 verse 2 says, honor the Lord for the glory. This word glory in the Hebrew is kabod, which is translated as weight, the weight of his name. Don't take his name lightly. Honor him for the weight of his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Psalm 34 verse 3, magnify the Lord. What does magnify mean? We've got a magnifying glass that makes things bigger. Make God bigger. Magnify him. Well, how do we actually do this? I mean, I'm always practical. I want to know, what are, the, what are the steps to actually do this? Well, throughout Scripture, there's really only two ways to honor God. We honor God with our body, the way we live our life, the way we take care of ourselves. And we honor God with our possessions or our wealth. That's what Scripture teaches. God's saying, do you want, do you want to show me some honor? Well, remind me with your generosity. Why don't you show me some honor with your possessions? 
Let me ask, have you ever had somebody say thank you to you and it was forced? And their heart really wasn't in it at all. It was just like they felt obligated to say thank you or, or someone made them say thank you to you and their, and their heart wasn't in it. How many know it doesn't mean anything that way? If your heart's not in it, it really doesn't mean anything. It just, it feels hollow and empty. Well, I think a lot of people today, they're trying to honor God, but their heart's not in it. Their heart's not in it. Jesus said, look, look, look at this in Matthew chapter 6, verse 21. Here's a couple scriptures that aren't in your notes. I encourage you to write them down. Jesus says, for where your treasure is, your possessions, your wealth, there your heart will be also. It's very clear. You can't honor God with your heart if you're not honoring God with your possessions. And I want to show you how to do this. This is why Proverbs 3 verse 9 says, honor the Lord with your wealth. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all of your crops. The first. What what, what is the first? That's the tithe. The tithe is first. All throughout scripture, the tithe is first. And why do we do this? Because as, as, as humans, we tend to forget something. Deuteronomy 8, verse 18. But remember, why, why is he telling us to remember? Because we often forget. That's why. And the, re, the reason the word remember is there is because most of us forget this fact. Remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. Everything you have came from him anyways. It's not because you were all that and you just happened to stumble upon that job or you went to that school and and worked that out for yourself. It all came from him. He gave you the ability to produce wealth. He doesn't want you to forget that. The tithe helps us live a life where we don't forget where it came from. That's, That's what the tithe is. It helps us remember where it all came from anyways. It's all his, 100% of it is. He just says, listen, the first 10% is holy. It's set apart. Return it to me so that I can bless everything else. So Leviticus 27 verse 30 says, a tithe of everything. Now the word tithe literally means a 10th part, 10%. That's what the word means, 10%. Have you ever wondered why God set it at 10%? I mean, have you ever thought, why wasn't it 7%? Why wasn't the tithe giving God 3% of my income or 6% of my income or 11% of my income or 13%? Why was it 10%? Well, if you understand biblical numerology all throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, 10 is the number of test. That's what the word, that's what the number 10 stands for is test. There were 10 plagues that tested the heart of Pharaoh. There were 10 commandments that tested the heart of Israel. Daniel went through 10 days of testing. There were 10 virgins tested in Matthew 25. 10 throughout scripture is the number of tests. That's why Malachi 3, talking about the tithe, God says, test me, test me. Why? The tithe is a test. What's it a test of? Who has first place in your life? That's what the tithe is a test of. The tithe just determines who has first place in your life. It's a test. Does God have first place? place in your life. A tithe of everything, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord, which simply means the first 10% of all of my income, all of my increase, everything I get, the first 10% is God's. It's holy. It belongs to him. It belongs to him. Whether I like it or not, whether I agree with it or not, it belongs to him. It's holy. So I have a choice. What am I going to do with that which is holy? 
I've got, I've, I, can, I can keep it, which the Bible calls stealing because it's not mine, it's his. Or I can return it to him. Those are my only options with that which is holy. And I know that this is a struggle for some people as they're growing in their faith. And I always wondered, what if it was in the New Testament? Because one of the arguments I hear from people all the time, well, that was in Old Testament. That was under the law. Actually, it predates the law if you really want to be technical. It goes all the way back to the book of Genesis with Cain and Abel. That's how far the tithe goes back. So the tithe was around over 2,500 years before the law was ever established. So it's well before the law because it's not a law. It's a principle that we live by. But what if it was in the New Testament? Well, what if we could show you tithing in the New Testament? Well, what if not just it was in the New Testament, but what if it was actually on the lips of Jesus in the red letters? What if Jesus Christ himself said we should tithe? Would we do it? I mean, if Jesus, that's the guy that hung on the cross. If he said you should tithe, would you do it? See, the truth is there's still a lot of people that would struggle with it. Even if Jesus said we should do it. Well, in Matthew 23, verse 23, Jesus in the red letter says, you should tithe. Yes. That's from his lips. You should tithe. Yes. Now, in context, he's saying there's some things that are more important, but that doesn't give you permission to not do this. Jesus could have very easily said, focus on these things and forget about this, but he didn't do it. He said, you need to still tithe, but also don't forget these things either, is in context of what he was saying. And here's the real reason. It goes back to honor. Deuteronomy 14, 23. Bring this tithe to the designated place of worship, the place the Lord your God chooses for his name to be honored. Well, God, throughout scripture, always chose the temple, the church, that, that's the house of worship. Why? Doing this, doing what? Returning the tithe to God. Doing this will teach you always to fear the Lord your God. And the word fear there is a sign of honor and respect. One translation says it'll teach you always to put God first. It'll teach you always to honor him. That's why we tithe, because we want to honor him. We want him to have first place in our life. And it's a big deal to God. And here's one of the reasons it's such a big deal, because his son, Jesus Christ, represents the tithe. I don't know if you ever thought about it, but what was Jesus? God's gift. God, for God so loved the world that he gave. What did he give? God gave his firstborn, his first. And he gave his best. What is the tithe? The tithe is our first and the tithe is our best. God gave his first and his best to do what? To redeem us from sin, to rescue us, to save us. That's why it's a big deal because it's a redemption principle. And so for some of you today, you don't even need to worry about the tithing thing. That's for followers of Christ. You need to worry about the first tithe, which was Jesus. You need to take the first step, which is letting Jesus Christ rescue you and save you and redeem you and give you purpose and and, and give you a real plan for your life. That's the first thing you need to do. It's just today, you just need to make a decision to totally surrender your life to him, to really make sure in your life he's first place. Because here's the thing. If Jesus isn't in first place in your life, he's not in your life. Don't fool yourself. Do you really want to surrender your life to a God that would allow himself to take second place in your life? 
do, do you really want to serve a God that would allow himself to take third place in your life? Do, do you want a God that'll take leftovers? Is that what you want to give your life to? A God that'll take leftovers? See, I want to serve a God that wants first because he's the best. He's, he's powerful. He's amazing. He's awesome. And I gladly surrender my life to him because of who he is. And so if he's not at number one on your list in your life, because we all have a list of what's important to us. If he's not number one on your list, don't fool yourself. He's not on the list. He's not on the list if he's not number one. And so what I want to do is we do every week is just give you a chance to say a very simple prayer uh, of just surrendering your life to him and saying, listen, Jesus, today, I want you to be number one on my list. Whatever that means, I want you to be number one on my list. I'm willing to learn. Uh, I'm willing to take a step today and say, you know what? I, I just want you to be number one in my life. I don't, you know, I, I've lived with so many different things in that spot from myself to my family, to my career, to money. I've had so many things in the number one slot, but today I want to make a decision to make you number one in my life. And I want to give you a chance to do that today. Would you close your eyes with me just for a moment? Just bow your heads. I want to give people making that decision just a moment between them and God. Let me make it clear. I'm not going to ask you to stand up. I'm not going to ask you to walk down to the front. You don't even need to pray this out loud. You can pray it in your heart. God will hear your heart today. But if you're here today and say, you know what? I really need to surrender to him. I need him to be number one in my life. I need to just let go and say, Jesus, I want you to be first in my life. I want to live my life for you. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to work it. You just have to surrender. So with every eye closed, if you're here today and you want to make that decision, would you just slip up your hand? Say, I'd like to join you in that that prayer today. Just slip up your hand quickly. Thank you. Is there anybody else? Thank you. Is there anybody else? Thank you. Is there anybody else? Say, I'd like to make that decision. I just want to put them first in my life today. Thank you. The prayer is simple. The first part of the prayer is just in your own words. Say, Jesus, today I want to invite you to take first place. I don't even fully know what that means, but I'm making a commitment to learn and to follow you. So would you take first place in my life today? Just just say that prayer to him. The second part of the prayer is, Jesus, will you forgive me for every mistake I've ever made? We've all messed up. We've all made mistakes. Would you say, Jesus, I just need you to forgive me for every mistake I've ever made? And he absolutely will. He He gladly will. And then the last part of the prayer is, would you just say thank you to him? Jesus, I just want to say thank you for rescuing me today, for, for taking first place in my life. Thank you. You can look up for just a moment. If you prayed with me, I want to encourage you to do one more thing on your own. On the connection card, there's two boxes. One says I'm committing my life to Christ. One says I'm renewing my commitment to Christ. If you made either decision today, I want to encourage you to check one of those boxes. And here's the reason. We want to pray for you. You made the greatest decision you'll ever make. This is why we exist as a church, is to help people make that decision and to really live out their life for Christ. It's a great decision. We want to we give you the resources. We want to pray for you. We want to support you in the greatest decision you'll ever make. So check that. You can drop it off one of the tithing offering boxes as you leave. We have booklets outside that say, what on earth am I here for? It's a great question. You know, I, I gave my life to Christ today. The next question you need to answer is, what on earth am I here for? Pick up one of those booklets. It'll walk you through it. If you don't have a hard copy of the Bible, please take a Bible today. This book will change your life. Uh, read it daily. We have, we have a reading plan as a church called the One Year Bible. It's out at the table. 
literally takes you about 12 to 15 minutes a day, and you can read the entire Bible in one year. We're, we're on day 166 today, so you can just join us today. You get to read some Old Testament, New Testament, Psalm and Proverbs. It really is a great reading plan, so I want to encourage you to join us today. Would you stand with me as we close? Father, in the name of Jesus, God, we thank you for this message. God, I know it's a little bit challenging. It stepped on my toes. I'm sure it stepped on other people's toes today, but we need to be challenged. We need to be stretched. We need to become all that you want us to be. So Holy Spirit, I pray right now that whatever area people are wrestling with, that you would just speak to them today about that area in their life, that you would just reveal to them, uh, just give them wisdom in that area, confirm things that you're calling them to in that area. Because this is not a message, Lord, to to punish us or, or to hold us back or to make our life more difficult. You're actually trying to bless us. And if we'll fall in love with these principles and really understand what it means to honor those six areas and, and live our life by honoring those six areas, we're the ones that are going to benefit the most. And we're the ones that are going to be the most blessed. And, that's, and you know that, God. That's why it's in your word is you're trying to bless us. So let us fall in love with these principles in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Have a great week, everybody.